The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us today, Reverend Jennifer Butler, CEO of Faith and Public Life, a progressive pastor who is here today to talk about really the taking over of the Christian nationalist right in this particular moment on so many issues from abortion um, to guns to everything else. Thank you so much for being here today. How are you? Happy Friday. Good morning. Happy Friday to you, too. I, I hope it's a happy one. Uh, I know. I, I just want to get through the day without a mass shooting. That would be really exactly. great. Right. Amen uh, let's Amen let's try to, to get to the weekend without any more mass death in America. And it's not enough just to pray about it. We That's right. On it and it's obvious. Well, here's the thing. Doesn't it say in the Bible that you have to do the work part? <laughs> like there there's actually isn't there a scripture that actually says like you, there's the work. You have to do the work. There's not, oh, it's not just faith and just praying. It's there. You have to do stuff, right? That's right. And and I'm a Christian. So, you know, I, I love Jesus and, yeah. and Jesus had really harsh words for people who did not do something about it. He called them whitewashed tombs, hypocrites. Think about that. A whitewashed mm. tomb, especially in this era when we yeah. have white nationalism on the rise, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something rotting and decaying inside. And when you're not taking action based on the highest commandment, which is to love God and love neighbor as yourself, you are a whitewashed tomb. You're a hypocrite. And Jesus had really harsh words for those folks. I think that it's really, really important for people to understand this because one of the things, I mean, I'm the daughter of two pastors. um, And then I grew up to become a progressive um, intersectional feminist. So we had lively debates growing up. Um, (laughs) And, uh, and, and one of the things that, um, happens in in that environment is I question everything. I am always like asking questions about every single thing and reading the actual Bible. So one of the things that I realized growing up is like a lot of people say they're Christian, they go to church, their pastor holds up the Bible, but is misquoting from it. Or they are, you know, judging people nonstop all day, every day, but yet not even living up to the principles that they say other people should be living up to like they haven't actually opened the book but they're they're holding it up and they're wielding it almost um you know against others without actually opening up and looking inside i mean speak more about the hypocrisy because that for me like i remember i was 17 and i i turned to my parents and i was like why isn't anybody here nice i'm talking about i was like in (laughs) my mega church and I was like, isn't that my like, love language? <laughs> I was like, why isn't anybody here nice? Because I was like, isn't that the whole thing? You know, if, if we're supposed to go out here and tell other people that Jesus is the way, shouldn't we be nice? Shouldn't we be happy in our lives yeah. and content? Should we love and, people? Right. And love people as we be default? like Jesus? <laughs> exactly. And so, so I was like, that. how yeah. are we going to sell something when it doesn't appear to be working well for us? Exactly. Like we're walking around mean and angry. Um, so speak more to the hypocrisy of this particular moment and the way in which I think um, the conservative sort of 
extreme Christian right is is sort of putting up religion, um, you know, as a shield from any criticism for that hypocrisy. That's right. In fact, I wrote a whole book on this and uh, not to tell the book, but the, the title is great to what you're talking about. The book is called Who Stole My Bible? Because Christian <laughs> nationalists have stolen our Bible. They've hijacked it. And I went through a struggle, you know, a lot like yours, like I almost left the Christian faith because of the sexism and the racism I saw and the homophobia. And um, there was a certain point where I was working internationally and I watched Muslim women fighting against Islamic extremism against really high odds, much higher odds than we faced then here in America. And I was like, if these women can challenge their leaders, then I sure as hell can too. And I can't walk away from my faith because for one thing, it powers me spiritually. It has inspired me because I've read the text for myself and I see what it's about. And it's morally incumbent upon me to really reclaim my faith for the justice that it was intended to do. The subtitle of my book is mm -hmm. Reclaiming Scripture as a Handbook for Resisting Tyranny. And mm -hmm. that's what we're facing now. We're facing rising authoritarianism. We're facing down white supremacy. And the whole Bible is a critique and a handbook of spiritual practices and strategies to resist that kind of abuse of power. And when you look at Jesus and his ministry, he um, drew close to the underdog, to people who were being sidelined and mistreated. I've been thinking this morning about the woman, woman who was bleeding, the woman with the issue of blood who was hemorrhaging. And she walked up to him and touched the hem of his garment. Mm -hmm. And that healed her. And he turned around and was like, who touched me? And I was just imagining what that woman felt like because she had been marginalized because she was sick and bleeding. And that day people believed that sometimes, you know, and they believe that still today, I've heard um, churches even teach this, that you must not be right with God, right? You must've done something wrong to have this disease. And then bleeding was considered unclean. Um, and so when he healed her, I'm sure she felt like, oh my God, he, he's asked, you know, he's going to be mad at me. Um, but Jesus turned around and he saw her, he saw her with compassion. He saw her in her whole context. And even more than healing her, he embraced her and accepted her and showed her compassion. And what we see with Christian nationalism and the Christian right is a kind of judgmentalness, a desire to treat people like criminals when they're suffering. We see that, you know, all across um, so many debates, whether it's, um, you know, access to the voting booth, um, which is an issue of freedom, or reproductive choice, which is an issue of freedom. Um, we, we treat people so punitively that a lot of people are leaving the Christian faith. So it's a problem for our democracy because they're abusing faith to oppress people. And it's a problem for our faith because who wants to be a part of that? Right, right. I mean, I, it, a lot of what you're saying um, rings so true to me because I've had so many of the same thoughts. I mean, I think also when you're talking about um, reproductive freedom, you know, one of the things that I... and I've, I've always been pro-choice, but I think I'm a survivor of sexual assault also. And so the idea of bodily autonomy, it really shifted for me in that, mm -hmm. in that particular moment. Um, and I became even more pro-choice <laughs> after because I, I do believe there is, there is no, there's no religion, there's no God who doesn't believe that every single person has human dignity, has value, and has the right to decide what happens to their person. Like yeah. the human dignity piece at the set at the end of the day 
is like the universal thing. It doesn't matter even what religion you're talking about. Um, you know, human dignity is really, I think, the the moral compass that I follow, that I believe that everyone has has it, right? And I think too often we sort of skip over that point and then we start valuing people based on how much money they have, what they look like, um, what kind of job they have, what kind of education. Um, and we forget that every life is valuable. Every life has dignity. Including a woman's life, right? Including a woman who is a person. <laughs> who is a human being created in God's own image. And I'm so glad you bring up human dignity because that's that was a radical teaching. That's what Judaism brought into the mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is the basis for what we now call human rights. Um, and that was not like really a concept um, thousands of years ago when the creation story was told. The creation story is a moral indictment of this belief that human beings have been created to be slaves and that tyranny was okay and oppression was okay. And so when you look at Near Eastern creation myths and you compare those to the, the creation story in Genesis where God says, uh, creation is good, good, good. Human beings are created in my image. We should have a Sabbath so everybody can rest and not be worked to death and not be enslaved. That was a radical moral indictment and human dignity is core to the Judeo-Christian and, and Muslim teachings and to every faith tradition. And every majorities of all faith traditions with the exception of one support a woman's right to decide whether she needs abortion care or what to do with her body. I mean, it's, it's at the end of the day, it, it, it seems so clear to me. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I just, I think like the more that we just put it in these very clear terms, the more people will get, start to see it. I mean, one of the things also that's frustrating in this moment, I mean, we were talking about gun safety reform in the first hour and I just cannot understand, you know, the, the, the thoughts and prayers, um, you know, I don't think you're praying. <laughs> you know, one of the things with prayer is that, you know, it's supposed to be sort of, you know, you interceding, right? Um, yeah. But also, in theory, because you have faith, God should be speaking back. <laughs> um, and I just feel like maybe you're not really praying because I don't think God would have been like, yeah, keep everything the way it is. Don't pass any gun safety. Kids dying every day in massacres is totally fine with me. Um, sign Jesus. Like nobody that I just don't feel like that prayer is really happening. I mean, could you speak to the fact that in this particular moment, the extreme right has sort of positions that that, that they pretend give them the, the sort of moral high ground. But in reality, um, they, they don't have it. They're not really praying. The thoughts and the I, I'm calling them fake prayers because I don't think there's a lot of praying happening for real. That's right. That's right. Uh, there's a, an old hymn that says they'll know we're Christians by our love and our mm. love basically in action. Right. And uh, it's not loving to, you know, uh, allow people to go into schools with military grade weapons that blast through walls and blow off limbs of bodies and, and destroy the human body. There's no way in many, you know, to recover from some of those wounds or to hide from those kinds of weapons. And, you know, our children are suffering and people are terrified. And yet all they say is we're going to pray about it. And, you know, what's happened is in every society, religion is powerful. Spirituality is powerful. These core teachings, this idea of human dignity is powerful. And so those who want to control and who are greedy and want to dominate other people, they have to control religion. They mm. have to control faith because it is so powerful. It would motivate a revolution. They have to control artists, theologians, imagination, because when we can imagine a different world, 
we can make a different world. Mm. And so what they're trying to do is hijack prayer. They're trying to put a fig leaf over things and cover up the horror that is happening. And it's all motivated by greed and power, right? They're defending these um, gun uh, corporations that make guns and make a ton of money off of it and give that money to those political campaigns. Yep. So it really just comes down to greed and power. Yep. Um, and it's not making anybody free. You know, the other side will try to talk about that, but none of us are free because we're terrified. Right. We have to create a community in which we can live together in which everybody is safe. And we cannot do that with military grade weapons on the streets that anybody can pick up at any minute, anybody can buy. And you're right, prayer, you know, people have just so misunderstood prayer. Like prayer has been also co-opted, I think, by our um, our sort of hyper-capitalist system, right? Mm -hmm. So like God has become some sort of like Santa Claus that you can go to with your prayer list and say, hey, I want this, 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 and this. Oh my you gosh, know, this is, a, this is why, so for, for like, you know, five seconds, I remember I would, I, I sort of dabbled, not dabbled, but like I sort of like tried to do prosperity gospel, like, you yes. know, and, and I was like, I can't do this. No. I actually can't do this. I was like, I don't think that the purpose of my faith is to make sure that I have a new car. And That's I don't right. know that God is really weighing in on my ability to like get a new house or put a new deck on the back of my house. Like, I just, uh, you know what I mean? Like, and that, that's what it, like, that's what it ends up sounding like, you know, like, and if you don't have stuff, the more stuff, then obviously you're not, you don't have enough faith. You're not do you're not giving enough tithes. Um, and that's why you don't have enough money, you know, for all of this stuff. And I'm like, all of this is wrong. All of this is this is and, that, and that's so manipulative, right? Because it becomes a financial transaction. If you give enough money to me, the pastor, me, the church, then then you will have everything you want. And that is just so shallow. And of course, the converse of that is if you get cancer, then you must have done something mm -hmm. wrong and those folks get cast out. And that's not what Jesus would have done. Jesus yeah. went close to those who were disabled and who were sick. It is the exact opposite of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think I think a lot about the going close to people that was like a big fundamental lesson from my mom um hmm. and i you know actually my I, I, my college essay get to get into undergrad was all about um one of the members of our church growing up who i became close friends with who was um autistic and um had cerebral palsy um hmm. and so we couldn't communicate verbally but we could we were friends um and we were like buddies and so that was a big lesson from my mom is really just like and my friends always kind of joke, like, you know, if you don't see Zerlina, like, in a party, like, she's talking to somebody in the corner that's, like, the person that everyone's ignoring. That's what they say. <laughs> because I just, like, I, I want everybody to be seen. Um, I want them to feel like – I don't – I don't I hate it when, um, you know, people feel left out. It just feels like – like, I, can't, if I, I get physically uncomfortable, actually. Um, it makes yeah. me, me, like, shift in my chair, and I'm, like, itchy. And I'm, like, no, this isn't right. Um I also want to talk about, I mean, at the beginning of the Trump era and when The Handmaid's Tale came out, a lot of people were sort of making that comparison. And then black women were like, yes, like we were actually enslaved. So this is all based on things that already have happened, not things that could potentially happen in the future in America. But, you know, people sort of ignored that piece of of the conversation for the most yeah. part um, and, and sort of focused and said on, you know, the abortion piece specifically. But I actually want to talk about the religious part. Because one of the things that's happening in The Handmaid's Tale that I don't think people are realizing is that all of that happened gradually. 
And it was gradual um, based on the sort of increase in the power of the theocratic, like authoritarian regime in that exists in that in that universe. But mm. in, in a lot of ways, it's kind of what's happening here. I mean, when I think about Amy Coney Barrett being on the Supreme Court for the rest of her life. And I think about Justice Alito and the reasoning and their premise sort of starting from a religious perspective. Um, their reason for not wanting abortion is they claim their relig- it's their religious faith. It's not a legal argument. It's a religious argument. I mean, what are the dangers you see of sort of a slide towards authoritarianism down this path because um, sort of this Christian nationalist thread um, – is in these really, really important and impactful places within our government, whether it be right, an, right. in the judicial branch, in the executive branch, if you know Trump, God forbid, is reelected, or even in in the Congress. That's right. Yeah, and and to be clear, the majorities of people of faith support a woman's access mm-hmm. to the reproductive care she needs, including abortion. Um, and what we're seeing here is a narrow interpretation of religion. Uh, that I would argue is not even Christianity, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is being imposed on the majority of the population against their will. And that's theocratic. And it's closely related. Almost every, you know, we see it happening around the world, actually. It's what Putin is doing with um, mm-hmm. Russian Orthodox faith. It's um, what Hitler did. He had to capture Christianity and he kind of created his own um you know, created himself. Actually, he said he was kind of the Messiah. Um, And so you see it in every sort of like fascist autocratic regime, they in some way, you know, hijack the faith. And so what's really important right now is that religious people speak out from a place of faith that we get conversant with the arguments that need to be made, we get confident in our voice, and that we really, you know, speak, speak to what we believe, because we cannot let them have the moral dominance over this issue and we have to clarify where people stand um and you know to what you said earlier there's intersectionality with race and gender mm-hmm. and um we need to be looking at those issues you know we we can't forget that this is a nation founded on slavery and the mm-hmm. theft of native lands those hierarchical systems have always been there we've only had kind of brief moments of progress and always those have been rolled back and so The struggle for justice and for liberation, we learn this in scripture too, it is an ongoing struggle that has to be fought every day. And there's joy in that struggle. There's joy in the solidarity. There's joy in the coming together and the advancement of human dignity. And God is with us in that struggle. And um, we need to always be vigilant. Uh, We've never fully won. You know, that's part of the the cycle of life. I have to continue that struggle and as we do that, we grow spiritually and we understand that it's not material wealth that brings us security and happiness. It's love and community and trust and all those beautiful things that fill our hearts and our souls. And so the struggle against autocracy in this country and theocracy is a spiritual struggle. And it's one that I hope all of us will join together in. I hope so too. I mean, I think that I mean, as you said, it's it's the kind of thing where, you know, we were founded, we were founded on anti-black racism and slavery. And, you know, there is a reason why there's such a, you know, aggressive push to ban certain books and critical race theory and some history from classrooms because shielding people from this information, you know, it doesn't allow them to sort of see the matrix 
and then work yeah. to change <laughs> the status quo. Oh my quo. god, what a great analogy! <laughs> you know, like they, <laughs> they they don't want you to be able to see the matrix. They they really right. don't want you to be able to see it. Um, but it is there, uh, and once you see it, you can't see it. Um, I also want to talk about gay rights because I think that uh, related to the draft opinion on Roe, which again, you know, in the current moment, reproductive freedom is on the table. Um, but then there is that possibility that that could also lead to other rights being um, attacked. And I think, you know, uh, uh, about the religious, quote, freedom bills that um, folks uh, propose on the state level, you know, and, and say like, well, my Bible says that I don't, I, I should, I don't, I, I don't want to make this cake for a gay couple. You know, like, I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't think you opened it. Um, but, uh, but exactly. But, but, the Bible <laughs> I'm pretty sure it doesn't say that in there. Um, but, but speak to the fact that, you know, even calling it religious freedom is a misnomer. And, and the fact that, um, you know, even when it comes to an issue like gay rights, I, I fundamentally just never believed that any, like God is not, he's not standing there in judgment. It's a person. That's a person. Every person yeah. is valid. Like, that's the that's the rule and lesson from the book that you keep quoting from, which doesn't say anything about gay marriage. It doesn't say anything about baking cakes for gay people. It doesn't right. say anything about it doesn't say anything about anything you're saying. It says to, to treat everybody with compassion and you're not doing that. So speak to sort of the issue of, um, you know, brought it out from reproductive freedom and, and the issue of gay rights and, and other freedoms that we have really just got we we just got them um but but how they're on the line because of this um religious authoritarianism taking over the country that's right yeah so what the christian right or christian nationalists have been doing their recent strategy to reverse all the progress we've made on social issues women's freedom lgbtq rights what they're doing is trying to cloak it with this idea of religious freedom now religious freedom is extremely important Religious freedom does not allow us to discriminate or mistreat other people. In fact, it's antithetical to the religious tradition. So it can't be about religious freedom. And in the constitution, it's very clear. You can have freedom of religion as long as you do no harm to others. You know, so if you look back even to the, the days of the civil rights movement, there's a famous Supreme Court case in which a restaurateur in the South barbecue guy was like, um, you know, I my Christian faith teaches me that um, I'm superior to black people and I don't want black people in my restaurant and I have the right to discriminate because my faith says I can do so. The Supreme Court ruled against that. But that's the strategy that they're using with LGBTQ. And my organization, Faith and Public Life, has mobilized faith communities across the country to oppose these weaponized, false religious freedom bills that do harm to groups of people. And it's far more than like issues around whether you bake a cake or get to buy a cake at certain stores. It's about discrimination in healthcare, discrimination in housing, discrimination in jobs. People die because of these bills and this kind yep. of discrimination. You know, they're out on the streets. Um, they can't get the healthcare they need. And so we're fighting those bills around the country. And we have to be, and, it, you know, it relates also to contraception. You know, mm-hmm. the Catholic Church opposed the Affordable Care Act um, based on, you know, the the health insurance coverage of contraception. Now, the Obama administration at the time bent over backwards, came up with so many workarounds so that yep. they did not have to touch, Catholic Church did not have to like do anything with contraception, but but they cannot like, if they're gonna run big institutions, 
or businesses, you know, like Hobby Lobby also filed a case about this, a big, you know, franchise. They 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 have to provide, you know, the healthcare. They can't just not provide contraception. That's their narrow religious view that they're imposing on the rest of the 90% of the population, 99% right. that uses in and affirms the use of contraception. And so we're seeing this argument employed this way. It looks okay. You know, people are like, oh yeah, freedom, religion, religious freedom. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But no, it's sinister. It's an abuse of our faith and it's abuse of democracy. I love the way you put that. Reverend Butler, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate this conversation. And my dad, I hope he's listening um, because I told him, I was like, we have a progressive pastor on this morning and I get so excited when I get to have these conversations because <laughs> um, these are the kind of conversations I have with my parents all the time. Um, and I, I had them growing up. And, you know, I think that it's important to, to have- I'm these- listening. Hi, dad. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> hello. Um, he's hello. up next. He's a biologist. So he comes on to talk about COVID every Friday. Um, but also as a pastor, um, we have these conversations. And I want to thank Reverend Jen Butler, the CEO of Faith in Public Life, for joining us this morning um, to talk about this really important issue. Um, the book is Who Stole My Bible? Reclaiming Scripture as a Handbook for Resisting Tyranny. Um, I love that title. Thank you again for being here. Please stay safe. Thank you, you too. And I so enjoyed this. And so nice to meet you, Dad. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.